Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Bottas came out on top of a of a truncated, tornado-affected Japanese Grand Prix weekend, of course, with qualifying on the race crammed into a few hours on Sunday. And of course, that victory secures the Constructors' Championship for Mercedes and also guarantees that it'll be one of the two Mercedes drivers who wins the Drivers' Championship. Most likely, obviously, that will be Lewis Hamilton. But that's an unprecedented six double championships on the bounce for Mercedes, an astonishing achievement. Uh, I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to, to look back on the Japanese Grand Prix is uh, is Gary Anderson and uh, do you enjoy the uh, the all packed into Sunday format? Yeah, I did enjoy it. I think it worked out quite well to be honest. I mean even the fact we had two cars um, crashed fairly dramatically in, in qualifying um, the teams were still able to get the cars ready and Kubitz has had to replace the chassis on his so he had to start from pit lane because there was I'm sure some parts different but um, it just shows you you can do it on a Sunday. Only one car didn't finish the race, and that was Max Verstappen because of the incident at uh, Turn 2 with uh, Leclerc. So even even with all the adverse conditions that they had, um, it all packed into a Sunday, and it, I think it was uh, it worked very well. You have to say, it was a cracking job by Williams to rebuild that car, because basically when you build up around a spare chassis, you are having to build a new car, aren't you? So they did it in just a, a few hours. Yeah, I mean, the, the chassis doesn't come completely bare, but there was a regulation in a few years ago, so you couldn't have a spare car because it was costing lots of money to have that third car plus all the spares as well and the fact you needed a team of people to go after it so they've they brought in a regulation to basically mean that the chassis can be uh, there with the fuel tank fuel system and that and it's some of the more complicated parts but you have to then um, construct the car from that so you, you know it's, it's lots of bits it's a bit of a jigsaw but you built it a few times so it's not like building a brand new jigsaw it's, a, it's building another jigsaw with all the same bits in the same places. So as long as you've had a pre-build on it, it's all there and marked and the bolts and nuts and washers and everything is in the right place. So it's not too big a job, but, it, you know, it does take time. And these cars are very, very complicated as well. So it's not something you do in, uh, you know, in five minutes. But does it save any money? Does it hurt the show? I think probably if you went to a, um, a Sunday, Sunday qualifying and Sunday afternoon race, there are occasions when a car wouldn't make it for some strange reason. And you might have to review that uh, that spare car rule again, but uh, it, it worked worked this weekend. Uh, it shows it can be done at a pretty tough circuit as well. So uh, no, it'd be interesting to see who comes up with uh, with what for the future as far as regulations are concerned. Well, it's one of those things, isn't it? I think there are some who would suggest have a condensed weekend, but obviously promoters don't like that so much and uh, and teams like to have a little bit of, of time and space. But it, it's certainly worth them uh, them considering. It's a good case study anyway. And every time this has happened, it's a handful of times this has happened, particularly in Japan, uh, even though the, the tornado, of course, wasn't it sort of swerved a little, so it didn't quite hit the area as badly as uh, as fear, though it did hit other areas. It's uh, it was it was a good little test of uh, test of that. Well. I guess the big thing this weekend, coming into it, we were all interested to see how well Ferrari did because we've seen them take, and take the big step 
uh, with the, the Singapore upgrade. So the Singapore win came as a bit of a surprise. The other three circuits where they set the pace, including Sochi, where, of course, they didn't win, slightly less surprising they were so strong. But Suzuka was the real test. And it did look, after Friday practice, that although Ferrari was closer on this circuit, they weren't going to be setting the pace. But then we had qualifying and things were, were totally different. Did that surprise you? And what does it tell us about Ferrari's progress? Well, obviously the progress, they've, they've, got a, they've got a good definition of where they need to progress at. They've got a very strong engine. The car is very efficient. Um, and whenever you talk about efficiency, it's downforce against drag because, as I say, the drag of the car and the horsepower the car's got dictates the speed on the straight. So what I see from Ferrari is they have got a little bit more power than the Mercedes. Nothing exceptional, but they use it a little bit more efficiently than the Mercedes as far as the uh, deployment's concerned. Um, and because of that, they're probably harvesting a little bit more power. So they have a little bit of a power advantage, but the car itself as well is 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 more efficient aerodynamically. But with that efficiency comes the fact that it just doesn't quite have the downforce. Now, coming in up to the last few races um, after the, the, the summer break, um, definitely Ferrari made a step as far as putting more downforce in the car is concerned. And it's a, a double whammy with these, these cars. A bit more downforce makes the tyre work better. It makes the tyre degradation less. So they've overcome that a little bit, but still come race day, the Mercedes is still as quick as or probably even quicker than the Ferrari. So Ferrari are in a bit of a sticky situation. They need to qualify on the front row. They need to qualify on pole. Um, Obviously, this race at Suzuka, a bit of a mistake at the start um, with the, with the, uh, the start itself. And they lost out. But if they can qualify and pull and be at the front, then Mercedes find it very tough to um, to get past them. However, if Mercedes are at the front, I think they run away with it because they just they can use their tire better. Um, and that's a that's a difficult thing. I mean, Ferrari have got to find a solution to stopping this, reducing this tire degradation, and allow them to be, have a better race car while still making the car as fast as it is. And sometimes the two don't go together. Um, I think Mercedes at the moment with a new bits and pieces they brought to um, Suzuka. The car is probably a little bit better. I wouldn't expect it to be exceptional, um, but probably a little bit better as far as the efficiency of the car is concerned. They're trying, you know, Mercedes are trying to find better efficiency. In other words, get a bit more straight line speed and keep the downforce. Ferrari are trying to keep the efficiency and get a bit more downforce. So they're both trying different directions. Um, it's interesting to see, Nick, because going into these last four races now, um, it's about race wins. You know, the championships are really gone, to be honest. Yeah, Bottas, Bottas could win it, but it's very, very unlikely. But it's just going to be about race wins. And those four top four top drivers at the minute, plus Verstappen, um, it's going to be a good battle. You know, there's a, a range of circuits coming up. So it's going to be interesting to see this run into the end of the season because the end of the season, this little period, sort of dictates the, the motivation over the winter and the direction over the winter, you know. You want to make sure that you can do the job right. Um, up to now, obviously, with six world championships, Mercedes have done the job right um, for a long time. And Ferrari have done the job probably badly for a long time. So um, these last batch of races, someone needs to sort of be concreted that we are the team that's going to be coming into next year um, doing a good job. That's certainly very positive for Ferrari. Sebastian Vettel on pole by 0.189 seconds from Leclerc and Bottas was the best of the Mercedes, uh, 0.229 off. So good to see Ferrari and Mercedes quite close. Red Bull, perhaps not a complete surprise to see them struggling a little bit because they, they just don't have that extra bit of pace on on Saturday, I was going to say, on Sunday morning as it is now. And and even in uh, race conditions, though, we didn't really see Verstappen unhobbled, as it were. Um, still not perhaps as strong as, uh, as hope. But obviously... As you alluded to earlier, it all came down really to the start that changed things. So for the fifth race in a row, Ferrari kind of had control of track position at the start with the front row. And then it all went away with this fantastic start from Bottas combined with, obviously things went a bit wrong for Vettel with his sort of kind of jump start, but jump start that wasn't. So what did you make of all that? Well, it was quite interesting because I, I just watched a rerun uh, yesterday because there was no qualifying on I just watched a rerun of the... the um, uh, 2000 uh, Grand Prix when Michael Schumacher was on pole in the Ferrari and um, he didn't make a very good start and he uh, Mika Hakkinen jumped him and led for a long time and Michael took the lead at the in the second pit stop 
in the pits, basically, and um, overcome Mick Hacken and was this Mercedes engine in the car, in the McLaren. Um, so Ferrari, 19 years ago, made a bad start from pole position, and, and today Vettel made a bad start from pole position in his Ferrari. Did he jump the start? Um, <clears throat> there's a, se- a sensor uh, in the track for each car. There's um, a sensor on the car, sends a signal. And basically, when you stop in the, your pit bo- the box, they call it, there's a yellow line that the driver can see where his front wheel should be roughly. Now, the sensor takes a reading of where the car stopped at. Um, as far as I know, the sensor takes a reading when the red lights come on and it may show you a distance, you know, the sensor may be uh, 30 centimetres away from each other. They, and that's okay. That should, in theory, stay still. But there has to be some sort of tolerance because, you know, when you put a car, one of the biggest problems, when you, when you click the car into gear, which these guys might not do until second light or third light, the car jumps a little bit. The setting quite a few years ago was very, very fine. So when you clink the car into gear, it would jump a little bit and set the sensor off. Now the tolerance is bigger. I think it's gone from something like 10 centimetres that the car can move to something like 30 centimetres that the car can move to accommodate that putting the car into gear. Um... Now Vettel, it wasn't putting the car into gear, the car, he let the car go free um, and probably engaged the clutch a little bit and stopped, stopped it again. But the FIA have deemed that that distance was within the, within the tolerance of the sensor, which, you know, they've got the data. I haven't got the data. If that's what they say, I have to agree with it. It's one of those things, isn't it, that historically it looked like the kind of thing they would punish. But it was a bit of a surprise they didn't do it. But actually, if you look at it, it, it I know it's a slippery slope sometimes, this argument, but it, it clearly didn't gain him any advantage. In fact, it held him, it held Vettel back. So from a kind of natural justice view, it's, it's not an unreasonable decision at all, is it? No, it's not an unreasonable decision. And what, the last thing you want to see is, you know, that four or five cars have been done for a jump start at the beginning of a given race because which the course, tolerance was too tight. Which, of course, used to happen when they yeah. first did it. And you'd have been around yeah, that yeah, in the yeah. mid-90s time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had these flurry of jump starts, yeah, didn't we? Yeah. No, no, it was, it was wrong. It was just too final, final, too final line. It's a bit of a strange thing, really, because, you know, with the Olympics, there is a time limit that if you jump, if you kick off the blocks um, before that time's up, I think it's 0.1 of a second now. It used to be something, I think it used to be 0.12. I think it's 0.1 of a second now. So if you actually leave the blocks at, when the, back, when the gun goes off at zero, you'll get done for a jump uh, a jump start as such. Um, so you have to be 0.1 later than the gun going off. Um, whereas with Formula One, they allow you a bit of a tolerance. So you can go, theoretically, like Bottas did in Austria, you can go that little bit earlier. You can antici- try to anticipate it. But if you're outside of that, as I say, I think it's 30 centimetres, then you get done for it. So I think it's a big enough tolerance to allow the car to go into gear, um, the driver to sort of have a little bit of lapse of concentration, take his foot off the brake. You know, Suzuka's a difficult circuit to start because it's downhill. Um, Spa's a difficult circuit because it's uphill. Um, so it's it's a fine line between just making sure you're off the brake pedal and, and you know, that RPM and letting the clutch out and all that at the right time. And obviously Vettel made a little bit of a mistake. He admits to it himself that he made a mistake. But as I say, the FIA have the data. They've looked at it and they've agreed that it's, it's okay. Now, notwithstanding the fact Vettel made that bad start, obviously Leclerc made a much more normal start, but Bottas went from third to first in, in a flash. It's kind of almost an old school start when you had much bigger variations. Normally, it's a much narrower window for the start. You basically either get it about right or if it goes really badly wrong, you go into anti-stall and you're, and you're tenth before before you've uh, you've taken a breath. So do you think that it was a combination of just Bottas absolutely perfecting everything and because and, he obviously his reaction time looked to the naked eye like it was it was bang on uh, but even a, a spot on reaction time versus a kind of average one doesn't gain you that much does it so I think the whole thing just the whole start phase just seemed to be perfect Yeah I think I think the whole thing escalated obviously because um of Vettel um not making a good start Bottas was directly behind him and took the right route turning left uh, going left basically so he, he got himself out of the way of all the other cars by going around the outside of Vettel um, and I, I do think that you know from from there backwards um, maybe Leclerc got a little bit you know disorientated because of Vettel moving and stopping and you know it takes your eye off the ball really I suppose uh, and then from there on it was a bit of a mess but Bottas made a great start and, and you know as I say he's, he's done that a few times just just anticipated it correctly um, 
and he is, when he gets a good start, it's a very good start. And today was one of those, you know, and he, he drove a great race. He drove a great weekend, to be honest. To out-qualify um, Lewis Hamilton around Suzuka um, is no mean feat. You know, Lewis is, is somebody that we know can string together a lap around, uh, around Suzuka. It's a really demanding track. Uh, S is, um, is beyond doubt a nice sequence of corners um, after, the first, after the first turn. Um, so for Bottas, I think this weekend will have done his confidence a massive amount of, of good. And I'm glad to see that they didn't sort of try to run a different strategy from one driver to the other driver. I think the opportunity was there to probably try that and do that. But if they'd done that and, and kept Hamilton out for a one-stop and he'd beaten Bottas, I think that would have been really a smack in the back of the head to him. But he did the right thing today, let them both equal race on equal terms. And um, he came out on top. And... Uh, focusing on Bottas's performance, you could you could argue this is maybe his best his best victory. He's only won um, six Grand Prix, uh, which is a bit of a surprise. But you know when he wins, he tends to win very well. But this one, obviously, the fact he starts on the second row, which he did actually for his first uh, victory in, in Russia in 2017. But you know, circuit Suzuka, lack of running time, outqualified Hamilton, and then. I think just kept it all together in the race because there was that question mark about what was going on because originally there was going to be divergence of strategies with uh, with Hamilton and we've seen I mean the famous example is when um, when Braun in 2009 at Barcelona they originally started Button and Barrichello on three stoppers and they switched Button to a two stopper which partly allowed him to get trap position from Barrichello but actually the thing that made the difference in that race was less the strategy and more the fact that, that Rubens' head went a bit when he realised what, what was going on. And actually, there's a stint where he's just you just think you're just slow. You're not, you're not as quick as you should be because he was distracted. But I think Bottas just managed to keep it all under control. He may have suspected something could go wrong, like Hamilton could stay out, um, but he just kept hitting his marks and, and controlled the race very well without getting distracted. Yeah, he did indeed. And, you know, he asked the question about, about the, the second pit stop and he was told that Hamilton was stopping again. As I say, you probably could have looked at it and said there was a very good chance that Hamilton could have done a one-stop race. And then you, you turn it around and you, you heard Hamilton on the radio um, wondering about why he got, you know, he lost so much time, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, why was this going to work and stuff? How could he win the race? And, you know, there's no magic in it. Um, and I think, as I say, the set of circumstances they're in right now with the championship being theirs, either by Lewis Hamilton by just keeping his nose clean in these last few races and scoring, what is it, 14 points? He needs, I think, more than Bottas um, in the next race. Uh, or Bottas would win it if he if suddenly Lewis has a bad time for four races and Bottas scores big points. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a team thing. So I think, you know, you have to take the best results from the team. And um, they've won the constructors, so they don't, they don't need any of that anymore. They can just allow them to race to the best of their ability. And if you end up, you know, winning a race because of uh, strategy calls, um, then you haven't given your two drivers the best opportunity. All the engineers will sit down before the race starts, and you know, and they'll, they'll go through hundreds of different scenarios. They're pitting in every lap, and they'll be taking the, you know, the previous races as an example, and they'll be taking the performance, lap time performance, and so on. And um, you know, they'll come up with the best strategy. Well, only is really one of those if you believe in it. Both drivers should be on the same strategy, but obviously there's always going to be a lap difference at least because you're only allowed one tire changing crew in the in the pit lane. So if you if you've got two different strategies, both drivers need to go into it and buy into it before the race starts. If there's a one or a two stop strategy, you have to buy into it because you have to take it a little bit easier on the tires, you know, all that sort of stuff. You can't just suddenly change it. But as I say, today the way the race went, I I wouldn't have been surprised to have seen Mercedes letting Hamilton run on a bit further and seeing how the tyres went. But they didn't. They did it fairly and squarely. So uh, very good for, Bot- for Bottas' motivation. Um, and as I say, the interesting thing about these last four races, if he can pull it off a couple more times over Hamilton, and it'll be pretty impressive. It's interesting to to wonder if Hamilton could have made it to the end had, had they kind of struck out. I feel like if the race situation was different and they didn't have control with the other car, maybe they'd have had a go to see what would have uh, what would have happened. Uh, although, obviously, Lewis was starting to struggle a little bit with the tyres and did say they were starting to go and Bottas was starting to close up on him as well, having held the gap. And in that situation, you could understand if that were to happen, Bottas would be frustrated because once you've been told that the other driver is going to take a second stop, you think, well, in that case, I don't have to 
close down. I can just hold this uh, this position. So it's an, it's an interesting what if, but I don't I don't think it's a, a huge strategic controversy or anything. It's it, and and they both they both did what they were meant to do. That Hamilton listening into his radio, there was no real resistance to pitting or anything. He he was fairly happy with it. Yeah, I mean, he obviously showed a bit of um, concern during the race and and after, after the, the first race. stop, he was very baffled. He was the one thing I wanted to pick up on is he said, well, if you're worried about the mediums, why didn't we go onto the hards? And he was told, oh, we don't know enough about the hards. Now, Mercedes keep saying this sort of thing about that. A few times this season, we've heard them say that about the hards. Oh, we don't know enough about it. It's an unknown. You think, well, why don't you take another set and, and learn on, on Friday? Because it feels a little bit like if that's going to be an unknown all the time, you've got three tyres and one of them for the race you don't know about. Well, perhaps you should make sure you do know about it. Yeah, you'd think they put a few laps into it and just see what the consistency is like. Obviously, the hard should be that bit slower, but if it's more consistent, then or you can even push harder on it. But uh, yeah, I mean, you could, you could say that because they lost Saturday, that cost them time. But if you're going to evaluate the hard, you do it on Friday anyway. Yeah, yeah, you? yeah, you do it on Friday, and even in the first session, just because you're you're trying a lot of data logging stuff in the first session fairly early on, so you might as well just have something on that just keeps the car from hitting the ground. And just see how the, the tire um, degradation um, reduces. But you know, just on the strategy thing, um, obviously you get you know you get this one call situation. But I think Ferrari, from my point of view, did the wrong thing today with with Vettel. You know, and they do it quite often. They show their hand too early. You know, coming in. You know, obviously the top ten cars have to start on the t- on the tire they did Q two with, which is all soft tires. They came in having used the soft tires and. Um, what was it, lap 17, which is very early. But I think it was 16, 16, 16. For, yeah, 16 for Vettel and then 17 for Bottas. Yeah, so lap 16 he came in um, and put the, another set of the softs on. So immediately they've shown their hand to say, we're doing two stops here. Okay, it was early enough to say that it, you know, it was probably going to be two stops anyway, but you can still keep people guessing a little bit. So, you, you know, there's no difference from them coming in and putting on a set, a set of the medium tyres uh, for that middle stint and having a set of softs for the for the end stint, which is what um, Mercedes did really. Might not be of any use to you, but you might, if you needed a little bit quicker tire for those last ten laps, there's a very good chance that that soft tire would have uh, would have done the job for you. So uh, I'm not sure that, that that was a good strategy. I wouldn't I wouldn't go that route anyway because as I say you you display your hand before you ha- you know MD has to guess anything, and also you don't give yourself that opportunity when the car's in low fuel. Right at the end, there is to have a good a good battle with somebody, and of course, I guess the interesting question in terms of Hamilton's strategy is almost less about winning; it's about the battle with Vettel. Because on the one hand, I mean, he went five laps longer in the first stint, and then that 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 delta was extended to eleven laps by the time he made the second uh, stop. Because Vettel stopped for the second time on lap thirty-one, Hamilton on lap forty-two, and then he really came back strongly against Vettel, but couldn't attack. You could argue that had he matched Vettel's strategy, he could have tried to undercut the second stop, but it's one of those ones that because he was running third at the start, I don't think it was a foregone conclusion. It was an easy second place or or first place or anything. So I, I kind of understand the strategy. Yeah, no, no matter what, I mean, track position is very valuable all these races. So your strategy has to play into that a little bit to make sure that you're in the right place at the right time. It's it's a um, it's a difficult thing because obviously Lewis was able to get the fastest lap of the race as well by having his soft tires when the car was was um, light on fuel. And it's only one point, but it's it's what won them the constructors today, as opposed to in two weeks' time in Mexico. So it's such a big part of it, the strategy. But at the end of the day, still, you know, if you can qualify at the front and you can make a start and get away, that's the best thing to do. Um, to to win it through strategy was easier whenever you had refueling, obviously and it's more difficult now so just to be able to have a quick car to look after your tires as best possible which the Mercedes is, is pretty good at both Ferrari might have the edge and speed right now but you still can't you know you still can't dominate it because of strategy so uh, I was I was I wondered why at the time whenever um, as you say Vettel finished uh, first pit on lap 16 and and bought us who was five seconds ahead at that point in time. Yeah, he didn't need to cover, did he? No, he, he reacted on the next lap. So, okay. And you thought, that's that's strange, because you've got five seconds here. Why don't you get, let a lap go just to see? If it comes down by a second, then get in. But give it one lap to see where you are, relative to Vettel's uh, softer tyre. But nothing. And, and that would just give you give Bottas that one lap longer on the tyres. So you can, you can stretch out a lap here or two laps there, and, and suddenly it, 
and cost you nothing. Well, and it would have put him potentially into because one stop window. Because when Hamilton originally stopped, it was only four laps later than Ham- than Bottas, and I mean, initially they expected him only to one stop. So when you're that close to a window, you'd normally and if you could you're afford to try. do it, even if you sacrifice a couple of seconds of your five, you, you do it, wouldn't you? Well, I think that's why um, the way Bottas had a little mild panic for a minute or two, asking a few questions as as Lewis going to stop again, and you know, he just it got confirmed yes, and. Um, but yeah, as I say, it's interesting, the strategy. Um, it's, it's one of those sort of things, once you've got your plan, um, you know, it should be the best plan. And then plan B would be your not quite so good a plan, and plan C would be your recovery plan. So there's lots of little plans in place. Um, and it's about reacting to the others and how, what they go about. But um, it's an interesting thing. And there's lots of people sitting there stimulating it all. Lots and lots of people sitting there stimulating it all to try and find the best solution. And uh we hear a little bit of it during the race from the on the radios, and it's interesting to see that you know some of the drivers still don't believe in what they're doing. Really, they're doing it, but they still don't hundred percent believe in it. And obviously, we had a final result with Bottas winning from Vettel did hold off uh, Hamilton for second place, and it also meant that obviously Charles Leclerc was not a, a factor in the race, and neither was was Max Verstappen after what happened at the. Uh, well, second corner, really the first proper corner, if 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 you like. Uh, what do you make of that incident? Um, I think, to be honest, it's a first corner incident. You know, if you take if you take Suzuka, it's quite tough. You come down there very very quick and do a very fast turn. One is really a flat out right hander, and then you're breaking into um, a tighter corner. So it's it's about who's got the confidence to go in there quick enough, get on the get on the brakes late. Or who tries to go around the outside? And we've seen it quite a few years now that the first lap at turn two, you can you can go around the outside. But the guy on the inside needs to be willing um, to allow that to happen. Max, you know, I think Max is going through a tough time at the minute, to be honest. He had that, that little stint of races where he was really out on the ball and scored more points than anybody else. Um, it's all fallen away now. And I think he's feeling the effect of that. Um, which I suppose is coming out a little bit in frustration. And he qualified, um, or was it fifth of the weekend? And I think they expected better than that because Honda put a lot of effort into trying to get them more power. Red Bull had a few little tweaks on the car. You know, I think they, they come to Suzuka thinking, we get this car, it's, you know, it's a mega downforce car, uh, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to mix it right in there with the two, with the two top teams, which they didn't quite do. So he, he knew, I think, that Turn one, turn two, that first lap was going to be vitally important for him to get in the mix with the, with the podium people. Um, and he tried. Not wrongly. And then, as I say, it's just the first corner accident from there on out. It depends on who's got the tires yeah, working just, properly. It, it's just Vettel. Yeah. Uh, Leclerc rather just understood yeah, yeah. why didn't he? It wasn't deliberate or no, no. it just didn't have the front, the yeah, front end grip. He didn't push him off the road. He just, you know, just, as I say, the tires probably weren't right up to temperature. He was probably getting a bit of turbulence from the cars in front. Um, and he wasn't quite in control at that point in time. So, yeah, Max is a bit disappointed. I would be if I was in his position. Um, as you say, Leclerc didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't intentional. Um, it's happened before, and uh, I'm afraid to say it'll happen again. Yeah, very, very much so. Drivers will always disagree on these uh, on these things. Um, and that did mean that, obviously, Verstappen, uh, Christian Horner, the team principal, said that he lost 20 to 25% of, of downforce. So Verstappen rejoined, well, rejoined after going off plugged away for a bit but then then retired fairly quickly but Leclerc had a had an interesting run came back through to uh, to sixth place he had a bit of a go at uh, fastest lap at, in the final phase of the race but couldn't couldn't get it from Hamilton because that the lap Hamilton did was uh, was good but I guess Leclerc decent effort to come back but it's, it's interesting wasn't it because he had that damage the uh, to the front wing and there's a point at the end of the first lap when he was told to box and he was told in good enough time and he sort of didn't answer and then he sort of said why by which time he'd gone past the pit entry and they, they said, well, because of damage. He said, oh, too late. And it's like, well, it, it wasn't too late. So it's interesting that he decided to stay out. And it created an interesting kind of safety issue, didn't it? Because obviously the wing then, well, they put the part of the wing that was broken, disintegrated on the, on the, the run to 130R, which didn't impress Lewis Hamilton, who was, uh, was behind him. And there was also actually some uh, damage to the, the, the mirror mounting. Um, and that wobbled for a bit. There was a point where Leclerc was driving down the back straight, holding onto it to see what they do. And eventually that flew off. Um, so interesting that Leclerc wasn't keen on listening to the Ferrari pit wall. Not the first time. We, I, mean, I understand when it comes to damage, his argument was, well, the car feels okay. But it's just a bit strange that the conversation wasn't being had. 
And sometimes, going back a few years, there have been some strange Ferrari communications. You sort of feel like, well, you need the driver to give them feedback. If you think you can continue, get the driver to give you feedback on it. If you think they can't continue, you need to say, right, we're going to get we're going to get a flag for this, so we need to get it in because it's going to fall off. So I almost feel there's kind of a little bit of fault on both sides, and Leclerc should have been feeding back earlier. I think you need to be more demanding in the, in the pit wall because you can see from the pit wall, you can see what 20 drivers are doing as such. And when you're driving the car, you can see what your car's driver are doing and maybe the maybe the one in front of you. You know, you'd hear drivers complaining like mad about, oh, these tyres are gone now, and, and suddenly they do a faster lap than anybody else. So it's only relative to the, the competition. The competition is only the other people. You're, a, you're in, a, in, a, in a package that um, is, you know, is creating a lap time. And if your lap time is as good as what it needs to be, that's okay. Other people can be struggling even more than you. So, again, it's the same with a clerk. You know, he, he knew probably there was a bit of damage in the front wing, but uh, relatively, the last time he would have seen that front wing was when he got into the car on the grid. As a driver, you, you know, you can't see it. So I sort of agree with what Leclerc did, um, not because of the fact that it was right or wrong. He, he, he felt the car was okay, you know, and so he wanted to, to hang on there. And one of the things that we used to, always try to do if you had some damage like that was to have a good look at it uh, going past for, for, for one lap to see what you thought of the damage a, it can prepare you better for your pit stop um, because you know what you're going to do and you have time to sort of regroup a little bit in the pits um, and B you make sure you do the the right order you get everything organised more in the pits so to do that one lap going past there because the damage wasn't that bad um, was I thought it was okay Obviously, when it came around and and uh, Hamilton's behind him and the bit comes off and I think it was the halo probably diverted it from maybe hitting uh, Lewis on the head. He lost a mirror as well, I think, probably because of that front wing end plate. Um, then that, that's never a good situation. But how many times have we seen drivers go around with bits flying off the car? There either has to be a rule for it or, or no rule for it. Well, this is why the uh, the FIA actually have decided to look into the whole uh, Leclerc staying out thing. So they'd be aware that he'd been told to come in and obviously they don't see it. I mean, ultimately, the FI hadn't shown a warning flag or anything at that stage to him. So, you know, it wasn't like he was going against race controls uh, instructions, but it shows the FIA of uh, the FI taking an interest shows there's a concern about that, uh, that sort of, uh, sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a decent, decent comeback drive from, uh, from Leclerc. And you'd have to say, though, that it was interesting as he came back through. Uh, the last car he had to clear was Carlos Sainz Jr. And he never quite managed to get up with him. Once he uh, he got through to being exposed to him, I think it was Gasly was the previous car he passed. He thought, oh, well, he should close up, but he couldn't. And yeah, yeah. yet again, this is another one of those science drives that was, there was nothing flashy or flamboyant about it. You know, he qualified decently. He was a bit fortunate at the start in that he was on the inside and it looked like Lando Norris might have been ahead of him, but had to back off because of the, the collision between Leclerc and, and, uh, and uh, Verstappen. But ultimately, just another science performance. Once, once he's in a race, he's just consistently strong. He extended that first in and was still showing good lap time. Just, he's just got an amazing knack of, of doing this, hasn't he? And that's, that's ensured that he kept uh, the Ferrari at arm's length. Well, it was just a good solid drive. You know, that's all you can say about it. As you say, he's not, you know, he doesn't go in and wring its neck for that ultimate lap. Although he's, you know, he's been doing pretty good in qualifying. To he's be quick honest. enough, isn't he? He's, he's quick just, enough, yeah. He's not, if you had to pick one driver to do an, an all-out qualifying, like, yeah. he wouldn't be your first choice. But in a race, yeah. very but, strong. Yeah, and the race, as you say, is just consistent, just right on the edge, right on the limit. But not over the limit and not abusing the car and not abusing the tyres too much. I, I think that was where Leclerc fell, fell foul, basically, of of catching Saints was the fact that he, again, the Ferrari uses the tyres a little bit too much. And while he's running um, in in traffic, he's using them a little bit more, the car's sliding around a bit more. So when he got to an open gap to to, uh, to Saints, you know, the tyres had said, oh, I've, I've had enough, really. And they just didn't hang on. So it is a bit more of a Ferrari problem than anybody else. But as I've said many times in my bits and my columns, you know, the more downforce you have from these front-end cars, front-running cars, uh, the more downforce you lose whenever you, you get behind somebody. So, you know, the only way you get downforce out of it is making all the surfaces work harder, much, much near the limit. So, you know, for the for a bit of turbulence, um, they lose a bit more downforce. And I think Leclerc 
suffered that really. He he was always catching cars. He was always having to go on the dirty bit of the track and you know outbreak them or whatever. Um, and all that is using the tires that little bit harder. So when the gap was there to to Carlos Sainz, he didn't have a tire left. Uh, now uh, Sainz finished fifth, but ahead of him was uh, Alex Albon. Um, see, Alex Albon jumped uh, Science in the pit stop. The Red Bull was a lot quicker, so I don't think Science is ever going to stay ahead of him. What did you make of Albon's drive? A strong weekend in many ways because he's had his kind of settling in period with Verstappen. And I know I was thinking, right, we need to see him in qualifying, getting closer to Verstappen's pace. And actually, they both did a one minute twenty seven eight five one in in Q three. Verstappen did his first. That's the tiebreaker. So he he got fifth on the grid, but. That's really positive from Alan because he's impressed the team with his attitude and the way he works with the engineers and his feedback. He's been able to pass people in races. So he's kind of done all of those things. But now it's at that point of, right, you've got to show that you can be not at, it doesn't need to be doing exactly the same times as Verstappen, but getting closer. So it's not sort of four tenths, five tenths. It's it's a tenth or two, but it was it, it was there. So that that's very positive for him, isn't it? It is very positive for him. And, and from what we know, I suppose the Red Bull's not an easy car to adapt to. As a driver, you need to drive it in a certain way. Um, so we've got to remember this is Albon's first year in Formula One. Um, not many drivers have come into Formula One in, in, the, in the, you know, the last few years for their first year and shown that they could match somebody like Max Verstappen. Now, uh, qualifying at Suzuka is not easy. I don't, you know. I don't quite understand because Max should have been quicker than what he was yes. in reality. So we've got to say there's something missing there. Um, and Albon in the race with all the best ones in the world, you know, he, he had a good fourth place finish. That's his best finish um, in his career, but a long way behind the winner, you know. And it's it's knocking on the door if you take it all, you know, eight tenths, nine tenths, maybe a second a lap even. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fifty nine point five seconds behind, yeah. so that, okay, that's so, a big chunk, isn't it? So a fifty three lap race, fifty nine seconds, just over a second a lap. It's a big chunk behind. Um, would you, you know, all the credit to him. He's doing a great job in a car that's probably tough to drive. And the good thing about him, I think, as well, is he's got a smile on his face, which is very important. Um, he's a nice guy, or he looks like a nice guy. But I would say Red Bull's ambitions are a bit higher than that. Um, and only they know what was wrong with Max at this race, at this uh, track. I think that, personally, I think that Max dropped off relative to the front end rather than Albon um, catching Max. So we need to see another couple of races, I think, to see. Mexico's a good one because the Red Bull in the past has been quick there, won, won there. Um, and this, so this will be a big test for them to see where they are, really, to be honest. Yeah, very much so. That there, there is a bit of a feeling, that obviously, Verstappen, he's at a point where he wants a championship contending car, and quite rightly so, because he's operating at a very, very high level. There's no doubt he can fight for a championship I'm sure he'll win one given an opportunity more than one probably in the in the future but you just wonder whether there's a bit of frustration uh, starting to develop there because the the progress that was made mid-season it's kind of it has fallen away now and sometimes that can be compounded by the driver well there has to be a bit of frustration and also the frustration it's bigger than that you know um Mercedes we've got Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas you know tied up signed up whatever um and probably haven't shown the massive interest in Verstappen. Uh, Ferrari have got Leclerc and, and Vettel, and Vettel winning the races and getting the old pole position now has rekindled his motivation a little bit and, and given Ferrari confidence that he can still do the job. So other opportunities of getting into a car that's able to win races and win championships, the doors are closing. So he's got to put his eggs in that basket somewhere along the line. Um, so it's not only the fact that he's He's driving a car that isn't capable of winning those races or isn't capable of winning the championship at the minute. There's nowhere else to go and do that, so he has to stick with what he's got. So he's boxed in a little bit. Um, it's difficult sometimes, for uh, I think, for a driver to accept that and realise that this is where I am. The only thing we can do is put time into it and, and try to move forward. Um, but he's got to do that right now because there, there is no opportunity for him. And I don't think it would be an opportunity in 2021. I think most of the top teams, if they've got any sense, because of the regulation change that, that might happen, um, they would want to stay with some consistency somewhere because changing everything for 2021 is, is going to be a, a tricky little number. So uh, I don't see doors opening for 2021 for him. So he's got to get his head down again and uh, try to put this together. 
What did you make of, of Renault's weekend? They struggled a lot on Friday, and then in qualifying we had uh, Hulkenberg uh, put himself 15th on the grid, Ricardo 16th. We saw Hulkenberg had a hydraulics problem in qualifying. Ricardo it later emerged there was some kind of rear suspension problem in, in qualifying that held him back. And then they came through Ricardo, good drive through to 7th, and Hulkenberg finished 10th, although that 10th place was uh, uh, should have been a 9th place for reasons we'll get on to uh, in a minute. But it's just odd, the whole Renault thing, because they don't, at the start of the weekend, they don't look quick. Then they have problems. Then they're actually quite quick on Sunday, but, oh, well, Sunday afternoon. But once again, they do seem to struggle to string together this, these full weekends. And again, they've lost a little bit more ground to McLaren in the battle for Ford and the constructors, which with four races to go, they're not, they're not going to catch McLaren unless something bizarre happens. So again, just, they're just un, a bit unconvincing, Renault, aren't they? As a complete package, yeah, they're unconvincing. I mean, it's, it's, there's always a lot of talk going on about how, you know, they're going this direction, they're doing that, they're, you know, but it never really seems to come to reality. You know, a great drive from, from Ricardo today, you know, really good, um, overtaking maneuvers and, you know, he, he looked as though he was driving the car. He, he, he wanted to drive. Mm. And as he himself said after the race, you know, if you can't win, then having a race where you pass a load of cars is, is the best thing to do. So if they could just put the whole thing together and, you know, qualify in the 7th or 8th or, you know, that area, 7th seventh to 10th, and then continue that through into the race, they could have some strong weekends. But they're not, as, you, as you say, they just don't seem to be able to put the whole, the whole package together for a weekend. And the car, they don't seem to start well. Um, they always seem to be playing a bit of catch up, and and that's usually because of lack of preparation before you get to the track. You know, so much simulation work was on these days, and um, driving in the in the simulation tools, and you know, even just simulation on laptops, that you should get to the track with your car in a fairly optimum state for that for that given track. It's not as though they're new tracks that people are going to; they're old tracks. They've raced there many many times, so they don't seem to arrive there well organized it seems to take them time to get there um they've had some races where they qualified pretty well but they're usually tracks where it's, it's not so car demanding um it's more efficiency demanding and you know good straight line speed and all that sort of stuff and they haven't got the best horsepower in the world but the car's pretty efficient i think but that just usually means it doesn't like to generate the downforce so they've got a lot of work to do if they're going to look at catching that top well they've got a massive amount of work to do if they're going to look at catching those top three teams um They've got a lot of work to do if they're going to look at being the, the, the fourth team next year uh, because McLaren are coming on very strong. And as I say, McLaren, whenever they took the Renault engine on, um, as against the Honda, that give them, you know, their, their measure, that give them their, you know, their measure so they could see where they really stood at. And they've, they've, they've come out quite well on top of that. They, they had a bad season last year, McLaren, relatively. And this year with the two, you know, younger drivers in there instead of Fernando Alonso and a wholly new motivated team. And structure, they're they're doing lots of things right, and uh, I think their future is quite bright right now for at least being the best of the rest. Whether they'll ever mix it really with the big team top three, it's it's going to be a tough task for them as well. But I don't see that happening to Renault. And the, and you got to remember that Renault, you know, in theory, they're the third works team. We have got Ferraris, we have got Mercedes, and um, and we got Renault. That's the three the three big boys as such. And Renault aren't showing that they're a big boy yet. Uh, we should talk about Pierre Gasly as well in, in eighth place. That's the, the third time he's scored points in, in five races since returning to, uh, to Toro Rosso. In that time, Kvyat's actually only had, had one point to finish, although he'd, he'd have had a better result in Monza, but had the car uh, uh, not, not let him down. But it's a strong performance from Gasly, and he really does seem to just be settled again, doesn't he, and actually able to get the best out of himself. I think while the the pressures of being in a front-running team in Red Bull, etc., and being up against Max Verstappen all played a part. I think the bigger thing was that Gasly wasn't especially adaptable to the demands of the car and wasn't wasn't working brilliantly in terms of setup, etc., and going down some cul-de-sacs and just changing too much and trying to get the cars to do possible things. He does, definitely seems to be at home at Toro Rosso and has had a reset, but clearly uh, I guess it's a car that, even though it's different to last year's car, that maybe family of cars better suits than him in the way he, the way he drives, but you can't really fault him. He's not had that dip that we saw from Kvyat when he stepped back from Red Bull to Toro Rosso. He seems to his, his head seems to be properly in the game. 
Yeah, I mean, again, going back to the the album thing, it's 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 about adapting to the car, and you know, the car has got certain characteristics, and a lot of these cars, as as you get quicker, they're not benign; they're on a knife edge, and they have to be driven on that sort of knife edge. Um, I remember a long, long time ago, Patrick Head telling uh, Nigel Mansell um, that you know, if he if he goes a bit faster around cops, he'll have more grip, and I think that's the sort of thing that. Really, the Red Bull exploits, you know, this is the way the car needs to be driven. This is the best package for this car. And if you can drive it like that, that's okay. I don't think Gasly could adapt to it. So I think he's in a more benign car as such now. And he can contribute to the speed of a benign car. It's, it's not doing anything nasty. It hasn't got the ultimate grip of the, of the of the Red Bull, for example. But because of that, you don't have to, you know, use it so hard. So he... I think he just feels more comfortable in it, just because, as I say, the, the pressure's not there from a, a potentially winning team. Um, it's there to do a good job, you know, within a team, within a team that's lower budget, lower manpower, lower everything, but still got high expectations to get themselves in that top 10. And, and getting in the top 10 for, for Toro Rosso and scoring points is probably the equivalent of a, of a Red Bull on the podium. Um, so he's he's got a wider window to work within, and he's he's adapted to that quite. He's, he's adapted to very well. But the one thing he has done, he's taken the hit from being, you know, fired as such, um, very very well. He's not he's not let it get to him. So he's uh, he's just got his head down. He knows that he's got he's driving, and he knows he can drive well. So he just has to get on with it. And, uh, you know, he's doing a good job because Kvyat's not slow, and he has proven that. He can mix it um, with Kvyat at any point in time. So, if Red Bull are looking at other drivers, um, and you know they've got their their school of thought with uh, the drivers they have in Formula One at the moment, with Max Verstappen, Albon, Gasly, and, and um, Kvyat, he is probably um, got more of an opportunity to move forward than Kvyat has, because again, Kvyat went through the same sort of problems with getting being hold up to the big team and then getting fired um, to the extent that you know they both suffer the same consequences and I think Gasly's coming out keeping his head up just a little bit better and of course Gasly did have that that late collision with uh, with Sergio Perez that led to the racing point being in the wall you could say that was on the last lap of the race but it actually it turned out it was on the slowdown lap apparently because we had this strange situation with the race finishing early but before we get onto what happened there the actual collision, uh, what did you make of it? I mean, my to answer my own question, I'm just asking to you. I mean, Perez was on the outside. He left Gasly enough room, not not monstrous amounts. So I feel it's, if you're going to put the car there and you are in the kind of line of fire. So for me, it's, it's racing incident. Yeah, I think it was a racing incident. It's, it's at the end of the race and there's, there's two cars there side by side through a very fast corner and um, it's a corner you're decelerating. Um there's one racing line through that corner, to be honest, and Gasly on the inside there, he was on the dirty part of the track. So the car had less grip and it just slid a little bit wide. Perez was was coming back in on him, so you've got to allow some racing, you've got to allow some attempts at trying to do stuff. Nobody wants to hit each other because it's just the race is gone, but um, racing incidents will happen. And yet, of course, Sergio Perez did finish ninth. And uh, good points. Because initially, it looked like it was uh, Hulkenberg ninth, and then Lance Stroll and the other racing point came through to tenth. But then, once the race finished, the, the timing screen cycled back to the end of lap fifty-two. And what appears to have happened is two or three seconds after Bottas crossed the line to start lap fifty-three, which should have been the last lap, the checkered flag was thrown on the on the electronic system, not the literal uh, checkered flag, and then. The rule states that if that happens for whatever reason, then it it is taken from the the lap at the leaders just started. So one lap shorter race and, and a reprieve for Perez, which um, yeah, quite. I mean, the the rules there for a reason. Uh, I understand why it's there because sometimes if you ha- if you had confusion about whether the race had finished or not, it could scramble the results more, and you, you kind of need a hard and fast rule to fall back on. But it was a, it was a bit odd because obviously Perez crashed out on the last lap yeah i mean it is strange that and the way the the lights and the and the um the flag work and if you if you go way back to 2003 in brazil whenever uh, um carlo fisichella won in the jordan a similar sort of thing happened to be honest we went across the 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 um 
start finish line started at lap 54. Uh, I think it was lap 54 anyway. Um, and the red flag was put out because of an accident with Alonso and Mark Webber. And um, basically, you know, we, we were leading the race on that lap. And then the timing put us back to um, a lap to say that we were second. Oh, we were still leading the race, sorry. The timing put us back a lap to say we were still leading the race. And then Charlie Whiting, he was the head of the FIA then, um, he got it put back another lap because he didn't really know that the... Um, the timing did it automatically. So suddenly we were second instead of leading the race. And you know, we were pretty happy to be second, to be honest. So I didn't really argue too much at the time. But thinking about it seriously on the way home in the plane, I thought, that's not right, you know. So we made a few phone calls and discovered it wasn't right. And then through time it got put correct. And we ended up getting the risk win. But um, the same thing happened there, really. And it's quite surprising that that can happen. Um, you would have thought there would be some mechanism that would allow the officials to know when the race is actually finished. Well, the, the FI have said they're going to investigate what caused it. But it's strange when you have these systems because, for example, we had the thing at Monza with qualifying and there was the there was a, a stoppage of the session. It turned out there were two slightly separate systems about the, the actual timing system and informing the marshals. Basically, you have to press two buttons, as it were, rather than it being one integrated system. So it is, it is strange when you have these little quirks, shall we say. And I'm, I'm sure that the whole race finish thing will have been some... It'll be traced to some little quirk or yeah, I'm sure there is. Just led to this happening. Do you need? Do you always need an incident to happen before you question this stuff? I suppose. Well, ideally, uh, you should eliminate it before <clears throat> it ever happens, shouldn't you? You should eliminate it before it happens. And I think that one you were talking about, Monza, was the fact that Bottas went across the um, start-finish line when the lights were red for the red flag, but still got his lap counted, his time counted, and that was because of one signal against the other signal. Um, you know, it should be so automated that it. You know, technology these days, it should be so automated that the human element is, re- is removed. Um, but then it has to work, I suppose. But strange thing, and, and um, it would be interesting to see if there have been other consequences in that last lap, like Hamilton had got past Vell, which was pretty close. Um, but it obviously didn't happen, so we don't know. But if it had happened, that would have been a bit of a shock, wouldn't it? Because... Uh, yeah, anyway, um, it happened, the flag, was, or the checkered flag was shown a bit early, so Perez has, you know, had had his off, probably cost the team 50 grand um, to crash on the slow and down lap, so nobody's happy with that, I suppose, but at least he got his two points. Well, just to circle around to what we were talking about uh, earlier with Charles Leclerc, finished sixth on the road, but actually he's been relegated to seventh, a 15-second penalty he's been given for not pitting to replace the damaged front wing, because it emerges that... Uh, obviously some details we didn't have when we were talking about this a few minutes ago, was that Ferrari had, had been told by race control, oh yeah, you need to get that car, we're going to flag that car. And he said, yeah, we'll bring it in. So they didn't well, They didn't bother putting a flag out anyway because they'd been told that Leclerc was in. Leclerc was ordered by the Ferrari pit wall to pit, ignored the, the call and that's why he stayed out. So this is why the penalties happened and especially as there were some consequences because Lando Norris caught some debris in uh, I think the front right break and that forced a, a stop so there were some consequences for another another car on track as well so I think ultimately if race control have, have spoken to Ferrari and Ferrari has said yeah we're, he's coming in then it's understandable they'll they'll, they'll penalise that. Yeah it is true I mean if that's what they've, they've done um, I've never really been involved in the fact of race control telling you got to bring a car in this lap um, it, it could you know it always been been warned by the by the FIA a risk control to say that you know we think that's a dangerous thing you better look at it. But uh, if they if they did t- say to, to do it, then they should have done it. To be honest, we, as I say, we didn't know about it. It, is, it comes it, down to communication, doesn't it? Because it if you're going to have that, I imagine if you're on the pit wall and you're giving a relatively late call as well, and you know the FIA is doing it, it's like right, you pit, you box now, and this is non-negotiable. Get in. Well, that, that's where I say, if, I think Ferrari are a little weak. Um, and we saw it at the last race, I think, whenever um, Vettel got the jump on and Sochi, where Vettel got the jump on on uh, Leclerc in the first corner, and then they, they planned to change. And, you know, there was a bit of wishy-washiness about the radio messages. Um, and I think there is a bit of wishy-washiness about the radio messages from Ferrari. And, and this is another one that, you know, you should, they, should, they have to demand stuff and say, do it now. Um, the driver will always try and influence stuff because he wants the best result for himself. And say Leclerc felt the car was okay. And to be honest, not having known that the FIA uh, had spoken with uh, with Ferrari, 
I said there earlier that I would have left him out, and I still would have done that. Um, but if the FIA had said, you know, you got to bring him in and, and fix that, then you know that's what he should, that's what he should have done. That's what the team should have demanded out of him. Because I suppose in reality, you know, he doesn't know whether the front wing is dramatically damaged. He's not their front wing end playoff. As I say, he can't see the front wing and sit in the car, so he doesn't know what the damage is. And it could have been a much more much more dramatic thing. Come up be one thirty and the front wing falls off. Um, you know, that's not what you want. So the right thing is if you damage the car, you need to bring it in. But that needs to be that needs to be true of of lots of scenarios. If it's going to be the, the policy, you know, the fact you can see the front wing end plate um flapping there um is one thing. The fact that you couldn't see half of Max Verstappen's floor missing and as Christian Horner says twenty five percent of his downforce missing, that's also dangerous. So when where do you draw the line at that, you know? That's a difficult, difficult one. Difficult decisions to make. Yeah, that's fair. I think it just comes down to the fact you've got to be uh, emphatic with your driver. Like you say, clear communication makes a difference. I mean, we mentioned Lando Norris was a victim of that. He had one of those unfortunate races. He was down in 13th place. He had the problem with the start. And then the, there was the, the clash with uh, Albon when Albon did a really late move at the chicane. Maybe a little bit on the, on the limit, but it was okay. Um, just but Norris didn't see him. So one of those uh, difficult weekend, difficult afternoons for... Uh, 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 for, for Norris and for Daniel or Alfa Romeo again weren't a factor Kimi Raikkonen said the car just didn't have front end that's going to that's gonna do you some harm around uh, Suzuka Grosjean qualified well but vanished in the race pretty much and uh, obviously Williams at the uh, at the back it was interesting to see those uh, those two shunts we had in qualifying both Magnussen and Kubica crashing at the, in the last corner which it's not a place we see many crashes I remember we had uh, Timo Glock yeah. 10 years ago had a big one there and then Toyota's uh, Toyota's last year, of course, um, but it's uh, I mean, a lot of buffeting wind going on, gusty wind in, in qualifying, which seemed to play a play a part in, in both of those uh, those offs. Yeah, I think in Kubica's case, it was the start of his quick lap, um, and I think this, he sort of started to make a mess of it. Basically, in the chicane, he got what he hit the curb on the inside on the left hand side pretty hard, and then he got sort of wide on the right hand side and onto the astroturf there. So he was arriving there at a slightly different angle from normally. Instead of taking it as a big curve, he was having to make the corner a little bit sharper. And it was a bit strange because his accident just seemed like he just wandered off the road, really. Um, but, you know, again, it's the same old deal. You've got hundreds of a second, thousands of a second to make decisions on these things. And he probably thought initially you'd get away with it, and then you're on the grass, and then you're just a passenger. And especially, you know, as, as yesterday, um, qualifying was cancelled because of the bad weather. Now, they didn't get the storms, but they got the rain. Um, so off, off in the grass there was probably a lot less grip than, than there would have been normally. Magnussen's one, it was at the end of the, the lap. Um, I think that was just on tyres that had you know, cried enough, passed a sell-by date as such. Um, just traction and the, the rear came around and that was it. Whereas, as I say, Caputus was just like steering off the road. So a bit of different accidents, but happening on a Sunday morning when you got qualified, that's the thing that can be the big tester, but, you know, nothing too dramatic. Both of them started the race. And again, going just to Haas, really, you know, their 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 problem this year doesn't seem to be fixed yet. Whether they're good, bad or indifferent doesn't really matter, but they're, they've definitely got a big deficit in the race. They just The performance drops off dramatically. And a bit of uh, discontent from uh, Robert Kubica after the race. Obviously, it's a very hard season with Williams, not in a great situation. And he uh, he talked about after the race, seemed to be a little bit frustrated that he wasn't able to keep the uh, the experimental front wing, which, as I understand, it was never intended to be a race part. But from what he said, it sounds like he wanted it on the car and thought he was going to get it on the car, and then they didn't, and it wasn't there for Sunday morning. So there's clearly some kind of aggro there between Kubica and Williams, and whatever the reality is it's a shame that that whole great story is is kind of ending this way isn't it it is really because it all started i think like in sochi as well whenever they withdrew his car after um russell had his accident with a with a um with brake failure or a wheel nut yeah retainer a problem and they, and they withdrew uh Kubis's car because of lack of spares uh you know, that's never a good situation to be in, but all of these races now are these flyaway races. So, you, you know, you've only got a certain amount of parts. And for a team that that's struggling, you know, the one thing you do is if you're struggling, you, you, you give yourself the biggest opportunity to make new parts if you come up with something. So they don't want to end up with lots and lots of bits left over at the end of the season because they've, you know, they're, they're all bits that will go on the skip out the back of the, back of the truck. 
So, you know, for a team like Ferrari or a team like Mercedes or whatever, huge budgets and all that sort of stuff, they don't mind. And they know the stuff they've got in the car works pretty well. So they don't mind making more of them as a production run going. Whereas I think Williams would always be holding back a little bit, hoping that the wind tunnel guys would come back and say, oh, we got this new front wing, this is magic. Obviously one appeared um, at, the, at the track. Both drivers tested it. But uh, I think the decision was made. They've only got one, so they're, they're not going to bias it. because and, that just and, really and it was also always, because I spoke to Dave Robson about this in uh, in Russia and when, it, when he explained about it, and the, always the intention was purely for it to be an experimental part. But clearly there's been some conversations that have gone on. Kibitz was a lot happier yeah. with Friday and Russell didn't seem to run so well with it. They both they both used it on Friday. So quite what's gone on there and uh, obviously Kibitz are alluding to some decisions kind of being reversed potentially. It's, all, it's always hard to untangle this, but yeah, it's not nice when a relationship between team and driver starts to sour, is it? No, not whenever it's a relationship like that, whereas you know, Kibitz are coming back from the rallying accident and getting the opportunity and driving in a very tough set of circumstances this year with a car that's not you know not got the potential. I would love to have seen what would have happened if the if the Williams had been a you know performance wise a, a Toro Rosso or a, a racing point or a, you know one of these other cars that's you know not not going to be going out there to win races, but good cars that you could maybe challenge for a few points in the in the top ten. Because it could have been a whole different motivation for him. The minute, you know, he can wring its neck and it'll end up a tenth of a second faster and still three and a half seconds from the from the front. So, you know, the incentive is not there for somebody like him who has you know, has won a Grand Prix. Yes, he's got a struggle now with his arm, but it was nice to see him back in the car and it'd be sad to see that. And just to, to finish off, circle back around to the fact that Mercedes has won the Constructors' Championship. They will get the Drivers' Championship. No team's ever done six consecutive doubles. Ferrari did six consecutive constructors and five consecutive drivers from 1999 to uh, 2004. So this this is the, the strongest run overall. So pr- pretty remarkable from that Mercedes team to sustain that that level for, for so many years. As you know, it just shows you by the rest how tough it is to actually win one. You know, whenever we look back at um, at Red Bull with with four for Vettel and four constructors, you know that was a big a big old achievement. Um, and just to keep that going, and also to start it so strongly with a new set of regulations that there was for two thousand and fourteen with the hybrid package, and continue through to the big change there was for two thousand and eighteen with the. You know, the wider cars, the bigger tyres, and the more downforce and all that stuff. It's exceptional, really, that they're able to do that. Uh, and all credit to them. You know, they 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 are all round. I suppose you might call it the best team. They've got a very very good power unit. They've got a very very good chassis design group. You know, whenever you think that that whole thing started with, um, they've had different technical directors. James Allison now. It was Paddy Lowe before that. They've had a big group of people at the top end, but still, with change going on and, and personnel changing, they've still been able to keep the, the focus and uh, react to the situation. And you know they, they are the, the strongest overall team um, as far as everything is concerned. We criticise them for this and for that and for strategy and for you know the car not looking good or being nervous looking or whatever. But at the end of the day. Overall, they put together the best uh, the best package and the the um, best weekend sort of structure and decisions, and they get the reward from it. Yeah, very very much so, and, and congratulations to all involved. A, a remarkable uh, achievement. Just before we go, just uh, again come back to Leclerc because still decisions are coming in. Actually, his his total of fifteen second penalty was ten seconds for the unsafe condition of the car and five seconds for the collision. So he's still seventh, but that's just breaking it down uh, to be to be correct and uh, and and up to date. But yeah, there'll be loads of news on autosport.com, so do check that out for uh, for all the fallout from the race and, uh, and the comments and explanations of some of the uh, the topics that we've talked about. And autosport magazine, of course, out every Thursday, and the autosport podcast is out free to subscribe every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. 
see soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Experts at Indochino empower you to become the designer and build your own custom wardrobe. They launched on the belief that the luxury experience of ordering custom clothing should be available to everyone. And now Indochino has expanded their offering to include the female form. In select cities, Indochino has introduced a new tailored experience for women, so everybody can find their perfect fit in a made-to-measure suit, all for a surprisingly affordable price. Design the power suit of your dreams, from the fabric to the cut with a large assortment of customizable options. Your suit is made precisely to your measurements, so you can make your statement by fitting in while standing out. Be one of the first to get a made-to-measure garment at an off-the-rack price from Indochino. Learn more by visiting page.indochino.com slash womenswear to book your showroom appointment today. That's page.indochino.com slash womenswear. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.